This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite. No Patrick this week, as I have the opportunity to have a special guest on the line. You folks know him from his calls of various UFC events from Europe over the last couple of years. He will be on the ground in Croatia next weekend. John Gooden. John, thank you very much for doing this. How are you? I'm very well, and thank you for having me on. Absolutely a pleasure. We we got to meet in person, I believe in December. Um, have talked over Twitter various times. I thought with a show in your neck of the woods, roundabout neck of the woods, on the way, what better person to have on than someone who will be there that has put some time into researching this card and and get you in to, to share your insights on this card and also introduce some people to you in a larger scale because not a lot of people know that much about you yet. Yeah, and I think that's that's fair. You know, at the end of the day, I'm just the guy that calls the play-by-play. You know, here's a jab, here's a kick and, and all that good stuff. So uh, we have Mike and, and John Anik that have been in these roles for a long time. So I'm very much still the new kid, but enjoying every single opportunity I get. Well, not strictly because you are on the show and agreed to do this, but I have enjoyed your calls from the get-go, I think, and you and I have talked about it sort of off-air before. I think the diversity of of having different crews, of having different teams do it, you all have a different chemistry and a different delivery. I'm a big fan of, I always just refer to it as the soccer style of, of letting the action speak for itself, keeping it fairly relaxed calling only what really needs to be called. So kudos to you and Dan for for an outstanding two-year start so far and and looking forward to seeing where you guys go in the future. Uh, it's, it's really nice of you to say, and, and I have recognized there are a few people around the globe that reach out. You've always been one of them, and I, I think you've you've battled my corner a couple of times as well, and I, and I really appreciate that. And yeah, I guess we... I've been very lucky with having Dan sat next to me. It worked. It worked from the screen test, uh, which was day one, um, or minus minus day two, I guess, uh, because we we hadn't even done a broadcast by that point. So, yeah, we we get on really well. I like Dan's insight. I think he's very articulate. He's he describes things very well. He's a true student of the game, and. I've been doing commentary for a long time now. I think I first started calling fights in about 2009 and uh, it happened by accident. I was a member of a fight team. We had a small uh, sports channel come down and do some coverage around our, our sort of our team's fight nights. And they did a terrible, terrible job. They didn't know the sport. It, it was just insulting. And I kind of turned around to my coach, uh, who uh, David Lee, who's a former UFC fighter, and said, Dave, I could do a much better job than that. I used to do a bit of, or I still harbored some ambitions of being a TV presenter, but it was very much in my sights when I was about 23, 24. And uh, he said, well, we don't really need a presenter to go backstage and talk about stuff, but the guys could do with some commentary on the on the DVDs that we could sell. Right. You know, it just, it just sounds a bit better, make it a little bit more exciting. So, um I'd never really thought about commentary, but there I was running around backstage because, of course, all of these guys are amateurs. So they, you know, I'm trying to find out what they had for breakfast. You know, that that's about as much as they could tell me because the guys, maybe a couple of them had done martial arts in the past. Otherwise, they were new to it, just trying to dip their toe in to see if they're enjoying it. So I've always had a thirst for the human story. And I guess that was just because I was only really given that angle in the beginning. And I ended up meeting and, and discovering some really, really interesting people. And um, and there we go. And I think that still comes through with the UFC broadcast. It's You guys all know what these people are doing in their professional mixed martial arts careers. The fans, we have such a unique fan base 
in the sport, particularly with the UFC, they they probably know more than what I do, but they they don't have the the privilege of sitting down and learning about what's happening outside of that. So I try and tell I try and tell those stories. I think that's where you gain fans. Well, and you do that not only I mean largely most people know it from the commentary world, but you've also done a bunch of writing for UFC.com over the last couple of years, doing very in-depth, detailed stories. I remember the one on Alex Gustafsson before his fight in Sweden, um, yeah. where you do put a lot of that in, and, and as somebody that you know makes his, makes his living on that side, I shake my fist because you're, you're encroaching on my corner, but you do <laughs> such a good job at it that you have to respect it, you have to appreciate it. It's funny that you mentioned sort of the fans knowing more, I think, they know more than all of us. They are invested <laughs> in it probably more than all of us because yeah. we all have that moment where we go, okay, we're done for the day. Something completely different for the next 24 hours. That's a good point. But it's one of the beautiful things about it. I mean, you can't beat the passion of fans of anything, really. Anything that people get that passionate about. But MMA fans are great, of course, then. There's also... You know the down the downside of MMA fans and Twitter and things like that that we've all battled. But here you are now, six years, seven years later, up on the big stage. Um, the transition from calling those original sort of team fight nights, then on to Cage Warriors, and it just built from there. Correct? Yeah, and that even that came around, I guess, quite interestingly. So some people may or may not know, but. I mentioned a team, so I was training at the time, um, but the competitive side never really worked out for me. A whole host of injuries, including sort of four years on the sidelines after I blew my back out and uh, some wrist problems, knee problems. Are I mean, I've suffered loads of stuff, so I, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, oh, it's just a, very frustrating. Anyway, if that hadn't happened, I would never have been able to focus on commentary. So all these things happen for a reason, bloody blah. But um, what I would do to try and learn more about some of these fighters would be to would be to go down to their gym and train with them. And thankfully, no one was ever, you know, really too harsh with my body and, and right. broke my half um, because I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't their opponent and I wasn't competing. But it, I think it just showed that I was always willing to go the extra mile. I kind of feel naked if I don't really prepare hard. So. When my scripts were light, I'd, I'd need to flesh them out. So I just decided that I'm going to go around gyms and do some training with people. And I landed in a gym called the MMA Clinic. And the guy who ran that was a certain Mr. Graham Boylan, who <laughs> within about a year then became tasked with running the Cage Warriors Fighting Championship promotion. And he just he saw that I'd been down maybe a couple of times to his gym and said, you know, would you be interested in doing some commentary? And I said yes. And the Cage Warriors thing evolved. He and I'm very grateful to him for keeping me on because he could have had a a choice of any of the you know more established commentators in the UK, but he stuck with me. And um, yeah, and I was able to really build that skill set and have a lot of hours on the mic. You know, I ended up probably working every other week, every three week, every three weeks, something like that. And that got a really good rhythm and an understanding of how to call fights. You mentioned the going down to the gym thing. And, and obviously one of the things we get as media lots of times from either fans or fighters themselves, when they object to things that we have to say, either in broadcast or in print is, oh, you're not a fighter, you don't understand, you've never done this, et cetera, et cetera. But there really is something about, and, and this is something I've talked to people about from my career and, and advised people that ask me for advice about, the best thing you can do is just go and spend an afternoon sitting on the mat talking to guys, sitting on the mats watching people as they're preparing, as they're training. Because as you said, that's where you get those opportunities to learn more about them than just their fighting resume, learn more about even just being in the gym and the camaraderie of it. One of the best experiences I ever had and, and thank him for this regularly is getting the opportunity to spend some time at Zuma in Victoria with Adam Zuchek and Sarah Kaufman. And, and that team got to shadow Sarah when she fought actually in her hometown of Victoria 
spend the day with them and just be in the locker room and see that rapport because it gives you that different insight that you're not going to get when you're just running into the guy during fight week, they're exhausted of doing interviews, yeah. and you're the next guy in the list. Yeah. Yeah, it gives a very different angle on things. And, and from being a, a practicing martial artist, you, you know what it's like. You know what life on the mat is like. And I guess that's where my fire, the fire in my belly really came out when a combination of seeing how poorly represented our mixed martial artists are in, in the UK, particularly back then I'm talking about it's, we're still behind North America, um, Canada, Brazil. So it's getting a tough, it's getting a real tough rap in the media. And then I'm seeing my friends that I'm spending all this time with, um, the blood, sweat and tears. And they're, they're trying to pursue this dream of being a full-time athlete and they're living in, you know, small places off of nothing, you know, under real pressure to try and pay the bills. And someone's got to tell that story. And, you know, no disrespect to the other commentators around at the time, because we've all played our part. But I think that it was just missing someone a little different to tell the story, to really try and get people to tune into those elements. You know, let's not let's not glorify the violence here. Let's take a little step back. Right. I mean, it's beautiful violence and we can celebrate that when it's appropriate, but let's talk about the struggle and let's legitimize these guys and these girls as well. And I think I, I had a real passion for doing that and trying to bring that into commentary, which is why I, I start, you know, kicking the air when, when walkouts are cut, we right. see it a lot with commercial breaks because <laughs> I put so much into them and uh, from a selfish nature, that is. But also that is the opportunity where we can tell those little tidbits of information which might help you latch on to a fighter's career. If you see certain similarities in their background, you're just going to pull for that that guy or, or that female. You know, you can think, wow, yeah, I'm also a single dad who's 21 and this guy's <laughs> right, achieved his right. dream and... Jesus. And so it's less about two people now fighting in the octagon. And it's, it's a single, you know, it's a single parent who's struggling to pay the bills, who's fighting this other, this other person, you know, so you've got to tell that story. And it's very, very important when you're trying to build the sport, when it's, and it's early on, like it is in Europe, we're, we're, we're getting there, but still it's important to build this fan base. It's funny you mentioned the walkouts. I sat down with John Anik and Brian Stan at the start of February for that show that was originally a pay-per-view in Las Vegas for a story that actually went up this week on .com. And that was one of the exact same things that, that Anik mentioned was like, you may be watching the show and depending on where you're watching it, you may hear me go back to back with the same tidbit and think, what is this guy doing? But you have to understand the walkouts are cut in a lot of places. I know you guys get them in the UK. I get to see them here because I watch most of my stuff on Fight Pass where they don't cut to commercial a lot of the time. Yes. <clears throat> but it's true. Those are those moments when you get to introduce the little things that because you can't get into biographical information once the fight has started. It's just, for the most part, it's too hard because there aren't those lulls. So that's yeah. the time where your research gets to come out yes. and they're cut. So I can only imagine, I mean, it's like me writing a piece and somebody pulls two paragraphs and it's like, but that's where I did my best work. The quotes are yeah. great, but yeah. all this backstory stuff is, is the real meat of it. Yeah. And it's exactly right. And I actually know that um, the, uh, the network over here often goes to commercial break uh which is which is frustrating um, but it, it is what it is you know it's tv i understand that uh in the london show that we just had because we were so heavy we had so many fights we actually didn't get and you you've probably saw this we didn't get the walkouts you know we went straight from a right, fighter right. walking back to the locker room to oh look they're on the, the break. next guys were there yeah, one guy's already in the octagon, the other guy's ready to walk the steps, and you're like, wow. So now you're thinking, right, what have I got out of this information that is that is pertinent, and how the hell am I going to get that in? <laughs> so, uh, hey, but that's the challenge. You know, that's what we get paid for, and um, 
yeah, it, it's just the the UFC broadcast is is a real challenge, but I like the challenge, and um, now I'm more comfortable with it. I'm having fun with it, and it's it's time for me to really sharpen my skills now. Yeah, what has that change been like? Because, I mean, we talk about it with fighters all the time about, oh, well, you've had X number of fights on the regional circuit and you've done some of these main events here and there, but now you're on the UFC stage, now it's different, the lights are brighter, the venue's generally bigger. What has that transition been like for you? Because Cage Warriors, for those that maybe don't know or don't recall because they've been sort of on hiatus for a little bit, to me it's the biggest show in Europe right there with Bama, Lots of major names have come through there. Obviously, we talk about Connor and his success there a lot in the past, but it's still not necessarily the same scope as what you're dealing with now. So, how has what was that first call like? The first fight, the first time that camera light flicks on, and it's you and Dan, and it's a UFC show. Oh my god! <laughs> it's honestly, it, it, there there was no. Um, there was no real training ground for it. So, I mean, maybe that's a little unfair. And I've said that a few times. That That's a bit unfair because calling fights, of course, when you've, when you've called high-level high fights, that's a big advantage over someone that hasn't. And at Cage Warriors, the talent pool was deep. They have had a, a, a high number of fighters that have competed there that have gone on to the UFC we go back, you know, you can go back to guys like Michael Bisping, uh, Dan yep, Hardy. Yep. It goes all the way back. Um, but in recent times, quite a number. And we actually have a couple like uh, Nicholas Dalby, uh, Demir Hazovic, who's fighting in Croatia. There's two guys straight off the bat that uh, are former uh, Cage Warriors uh, contenders. So, yeah, that, that, that definitely set me up. But the the social media side of things um and that exposure even though you know we started off in the beginning saying look no one really no one really knows who this guy from the uk is who's calling fights uh that everyone knows that dan hardy and and dan's getting celebrated which is great to see but if if i have a bad show and set dan up badly then then it's going to be difficult for dan to have a good show so i kind of think if people are saying Dan's had a good show, then I'm part of that as well. So, so that's good for me. Um, that's good enough for me, I should say. But um, yeah, when when that light went on and the amount of – there's two different shows. Sorry, I'm skipping about here. You've got Calling Fights and then you've got the UFC program. Right, And right. <laughs> the program at Cage Warriors was very much left to me to just get in and out of things because it – there wasn't an awful lot. You weren't pushing an awful lot. There was no, there was there was no promotional stuff that you're feeding into the broadcast. And you didn't have like ninety different international partners that were dipping in and out. Um, so it was fairly straightforward. And then you get a a UFC format. There were very experienced producers in the UK that were looking at this for days, scratching their heads. So for me, who never really needed to look at a running order a format <laughs> right. just because it was calling fights with a, with a couple of intros and outros it was like holy shit <laughs> um and when now that I need, first now i went need to mix on, in talking about harley davidson and promoting this movie that's coming up and we have three more shows in the next four weeks yeah <laughs> and you say and you repeat those but then you've got to try and switch them up a little bit make it sound interesting compete with the great pipes of mike goldberg and the beautiful fast-paced flow of John Anik, and you're like, ah, yeah, this is going to be a tough night. But, I mean, the commentary for me is it is what it is, and uh, you don't know what's coming up. You can prepare your information, and, and you just go with it. But the presenting to camera, yes, you do prepare for that. Um, you should have some ideas of where you're going to go, and, and that's what I need to work on. I've, I'm not yet happy with any single bit of camera work I've done for the UFC, so... I'm hoping that, um, you know, we'll, we'll get there. But we, we kind of need a bit more practice uh, to, to really make it stick. So, uh, so yeah, I'm my own biggest critic, but it was a big step up. And it took me it took me a good few reps before I was comfortable. You are your own biggest critic, as we all are. You are doing a phenomenal job. Um, as we said, sort of various times that we've talked, I agree with you that it would be great to see you guys get more reps, not just necessarily those those overseas sh- overseas shows 
get a chance to, you know, bring you stateside to call some of those events, especially when we have weeks like we had in December and as we have coming up in July where there's three shows and three nights and that's a lot to put on anybody in terms of, you think of just the execution of those shows and those are long nights as, as any of us that have sat through a UFC event will testify seven hours of being even just sitting there watching fights is tough. So throw in working, but then yeah. throw in all the prep that goes to it too. So it would be great to see sort of spreading that out a little bit, but we can, we can send this portion of the clip to the famed UFC producer, Zach Candido, let him know there, are, there are some options out there. Um, yeah. Keyboard Kimura podcast on Providence Sports that. Radio. East Spencer Kite talking with John Gooden, UFC commentator, who will be in Croatia this weekend for the debut in, I call it, I pronounce it Zagreb. Is that correct? My wife pronounced it Zagreb earlier when I asked her about it. You would know better than I. Um, well, I call it Zagreb. All right. So Zagreb, Zagreb, you know, potatoes. Uh, and all that so yeah no uh, Zagreb yeah that that works that works you're heading over there but this will be as we sort of talked about off air setting this up this will be a a week a weekend and a card where you're shifting gears you're you're not doing the booth you are actually going to be in sort of the backstage role oh, excited yeah. about it is this you know another new challenge another thing to to test drive yeah, absolutely. Well, we all like or should like new challenges. And and if we're not pushing ourselves, then we're standing still. We need to improve our skill sets, grow. Uh, I was talking about the on-camera stuff. Well, this is all on-camera stuff. But it pulls on the, the interviewing techniques. And my whole basis of commentary is on the back of interviews, really. So I, I love to interview all sorts of people and uh, particularly UFC fighters. So I now get to do that within a framework uh, for Fox, which is, which is a really big win for me. Um, I, I honestly never even thought that the UFC was going to be on the radar when I started commentating. It wasn't an ambition. It was purely about the sport. So now to, to have a go at different angles, then it shows a confidence that the UFC have in my work. And... Um, yeah, and I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity, and and hopefully I'll be into, or, or people will be introduced to me, the American audience, and and they'll like the the different flavor that I'll bring, and we'll see where it goes. I think it's important to say before I forget, I was given this gig at the beginning <laughs> of the year. Um, there's obviously a reason why I say that. So I, I was given this gig, and I'll also be in Rotterdam as well. And so I, very, I had a chat with the one guy who I know does it very well when he was over in London, Mr. Ariel Hawani. And uh, yeah, he was, he was really pleased for me. So I felt a bit uncomfortable that this was coming up whilst we were sitting around the table. Um, and he was like, no, man, this is cool. I, I'm really pleased that you get to do the reporter role. I think you'll do a good job. So it makes us all kind of look better. Uh, but obviously then we, the news came out recently um, that Ariel's you know he's not doing he's not doing stuff. I don't I don't really know the ins and yeah, outs. Yeah, parted ways with Fox, I believe, last week. Yeah. Um, so what what I don't really want, I, I when that happened, I was obviously a, a upset for Ariel. If indeed that was not what he wanted to have happen, um, but this isn't me coming in on Ariel's gig. This right. is this was set up before. Um, so uh, so yeah. I was just, when that came out, I was like, oh man, <laughs> right. I think people are going to think that I've just jumped in uh, in his grave here and that is not the case. Yeah, and it's one of those things, I mean, first and foremost, anybody that has followed me on Twitter and anything like that knows I have the utmost respect for Ariel. I am fortunate to consider him a friend and a mentor and wish him all the best going forward. I think you and I both know he will be perfectly fine as he is an immensely talented individual, sure. but it's yeah, true. Yeah. It, it is that awkward thing. And, and he would be in, and hearing you say that, you know, he was in your corner when you brought this up to him is very much who Ariel is always encouraging, always about, you know, the rising tide lifting all ships and, and everybody succeeding and any one individual succeeding is good for all of us. Um, 
But yet the timing of it, when you mentioned it as we were setting this up, the timing of it is just sort of unfortunate because it looks like here comes John Gooden nicking Ariel Hawani's job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, if you're thinking it, then other people will think it and, um, and comparisons will be made, I guess. But Hey, listen, um, I've, I've got a good ear to the ground over in Europe. I know a lot of the teams and the camps out here and, uh, yeah. And I think that's why, and also look, I, th- I don't have a lot of opportunities, uh, right now with the way that the scheduling's going and, and the plans for the UFC, which I, which I believe is the right thing to do. I think I every move that the UFC makes, I absolutely see why they do it. So uh, it's certainly not a moan. And I hope to be involved with the UFC for for a long time coming. So, but any time that they offer me an opportunity to do something, I'm like, yeah, love <laughs> right. to. Right. You know? there's, there's no way to say, you know, I haven't really done anything for a couple of months, but I don't want to do that because you have yeah. to jump at the opportunities. You have to take them. And, and it's the only way. And, and as we sort of mentioned earlier, it's one of the ways for you to continue building your name, continue gaining that expo- exposure, especially here in North America, where people maybe aren't tuning into Fight Pass events in Europe because they're on early in the morning or whatever the reason may be. So it's it's a prime opportunity for you. And, and again, not just because you're on the show, not just because I consider you a friend. It's a great opportunity, and it's good to see you getting it. Yeah, no, thank you. And I'm, and I'm really excited about it. This isn't, honestly, when, when, they, when it was offered, I was like, yeah, I like that. I like it. I like <laughs> right. the dynamic. Um, again, it's, it's sharing those very special moments with fighters. I mean, obviously, the... The immediate post-fight interview in the octagon is one thing, but then when the fighters get backstage, they've been able to digest what's happened just a little bit more. So there's slightly more room to breathe, and and you can ask a couple of other things. So I'm I'm looking forward to playing with that and uh, bringing some some interesting nuggets of information to these pre-fight shows and post-fight shows. Well, and as you said, you have that familiarity with guys a lot of the people men and women on this card because they are largely uk or sorry european based fighters and that just it's such a integral element of a call and this this isn't to knock goldberg rogan anybody else that does it but just knowing something beyond just what it says on wikipedia or that you can glean from their sure dog fight finder record or whatever you get from a UFC bio is so important because it gives you something more than just what I can go and find myself or a fan can go and find themselves. So having that frame of reference from old cage warrior fights for a guy, as you said, like Nicholas Dalby that you can go back and rely on and, and you have that rapport with them makes what you're going to do this weekend coming up even better. And what makes what you do, in terms of commentary, that much better as well. Yeah, so it's it's important to bring those angles in, and I listen to um, Mike Goldberg sometimes again talking about the certain coaching staff at certain teams, and and I don't know who they are. Right, you know, I've not met them, so so it kind of works both ways. You know, definitely John and Mike will have those personal relationships, um, you know, across the pond, but over here. You know, I'm still developing those those links. We obviously get a lot of people from the States coming over to Europe and those relationships are new. But hopefully there's a lot of teams out here that I've had contact with. So, so yeah, we should be able to bring some some different aspects. So before getting into this card in Croatia and sort of talking about some people you're interested in seeing compete on this stage and some of the more marquee fights, I want to give some people a little more background, a little more insight into... John Gooden, the man, as opposed to just John Gooden and what he does career-wise. So in doing a little bit of research, I know that you were basically an electrician running a, a family operation with your father when you got the call to do this UFC gig. So it's yeah. good to know that, you know, if things ever go upside down for yourself and Connor, you're a perfect tandem plumber and electrician. <laughs> Away you go. How good would that be? Um what an entertaining day that would be! Wow, <laughs> uh, I, we wouldn't have a van either. You know, we would be we would be bawling 
right. some serious ride. Very, now, very fancy cars rolling yeah, up to fix, we to, be, to fix your wiring like, and plumbing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. I'm so I still help. I still help out in the family business with uh, more technical bits and pieces. My dad is not someone who's proficient with uh, what he calls the computer. Right. Um, right. So I'm. I still help him out with some other bits and bobs and I'm a sounding board for him on a pretty much a daily basis. But I decided to, to take the leap and just be fully focused on, on my broadcast career. And that's why I do a bit of writing as well. Well, not the reason why I I enjoy it, but um, why I seek more opportunities to do that. Plus I don't, I don't know if people know this, but I do a bit of producing for the UFC as well. So when, Similarly, you know, it's on a very similar vein. Whenever there's a countdown show to be done around, let's say, at SBG or with Joanna, uh, because I know I know some of these coaches, I know Jim Etiquette rather than some of the other people from different sports over this part of the globe who have never stepped inside a mixed martial arts gym. Yeah, I go over there and ask the questions, set things up, do the logistical stuff, and uh, and I very much enjoy that role. So, so they're keeping me busy, um, doing lo- doing lots of different bits and pieces. So uh, I very much enjoy that. And it's fortunately, you know, the money thing is is not so important, but I can still pay my bills, and I'm not looking to get massively rich. If that happens, then well, so be it. But um, all I want to do is pay my bills. Uh, have some more time in my life uh, and enjoy being, you know, involved in this incredible sport. Yeah. I always tell people it is better to be busy than bored. Um, They ask sort of like, you know, when do you fit stuff in? And it's like, you know, you just, you make it work. You do all that you can, because as you said, I want to be involved in this. I want to continue doing this. and, And it's not about getting rich. It's about the reward of it. Just passion wise. Um, another thing that you do that people maybe know or don't know, and they should know if they're following you on Twitter at John Gooden UK, you are also at the bloody vegan. You have done some video blog series, uh, very recently testing out some vegan chocolates. You and I have discussed (laughs) my meat eating tendencies here and there. Um, I will have you know that I will be making that kale and Brussels sprout Caesar salad sans chicken today. In honor right. of you being on the show. Good man. Um, high five. <laughs> but they've been wildly entertaining. I've enjoyed them. How much of that is just sort of one of the things I always talk about with people is having those other outlets. So I love MMA. It is my primary passion. It is what I write about the most. But I also have side gigs where I write about pop culture and other sports and complete nonsense like the house hunt my wife and I have been on and now preparing to move how important has that been just as as sort of that secondary release and that secondary interest for you? Well, the whole plant-based, uh, compassionate living thing really, really took a grip on me on the back of my, my back injury. Um, when the only thing that you can manage in, in terms of health is what you put in your mouth, it led me towards being a vegan. So... Um, yeah, it kind of helped me repair myself. I believed in it. The animal cruelty stuff sucks. And I just put myself right at the front of the queue to see what the hell was going on in this world. And yeah, and I, and I, I get really fired up about it. <laughs> I can what? attest to this. This is true. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not I'm not that guy who's aggressive with it. Right. And and it is what it is. And I think a lot of the time people just, just don't know enough to make really intelligent decisions on the way they want to lead their lives. And once you have the information, then it's like, it's up to you, you know, do with it what you will, but I guarantee you it will have an impact in some way. Um, For me, I just couldn't go back to eating any kind of animal products from the health side of things, from the compassion side of things. So yeah, I'd find myself going out to gatherings, social gatherings, you'll they'd find out that you're, you know, this cage fighting <laughs> uh circus announcer or whatever it is they want to define you as. Um and then that that would last, you know, 
five, ten minutes, and then they'd see that you're avoiding the barbecue right. and you're, you're picking out certain bits and pieces and someone might say something and then it would lead into the whole plant-based or vegan thing and you'd still be talking to these people for an hour or more, you know, and they're interested because it's something that they can really relate to. Um, so a lot of friends, I've got a lot of fighters now. I've started a little in, uh, WhatsApp group with a couple other guys from our fight team, a couple of the JITS guys and another pro fighter. And we share like food recipes. I'm helping them out with bits and pieces. And I just thought, you know what? I think I could get out there, become a bit more involved with the vegan community because it's something that I'm enjoying um, and do do a couple of little entertaining videos at the same time. So I'm doing an Ironman uh, triathlon in the summer. And I thought I would combine how I'm preparing for this Ironman whilst I'm working with the UFC and obviously doing it on a on a plant-based diet. It's a crazy fucking ambition, <laughs> this Ironman. Why am I doing I honestly don't know. Excuse me for swearing. No, you're perfectly fine. It is a podcast. You're allowed to you're allowed to curse. That is uh, that's perfectly acceptable. You know, I've already swam about about five thousand meters to five uh, K this week. I've run about how many miles have I run? Nigh on twenty miles. I did an hour uh, pedal coaching yesterday. I'm going out run coaching tomorrow and I'll be on the bike for another three hours on Sunday morning. So, and we haven't even ramped it up yet. That's just <laughs> right. sync discipline each day. We've got to start doubling that up soon. So it's, it's like training for, it's like what these guys are doing to train for a fight. You know, it, it needs about 20 hours a week uh, going into this, this training. So yeah, it's pretty bonkers. So I'm learning a lot of stuff. It's a new sport. Again, I'm, I'm think I'm going to do some work in the triathlon world eventually, but I need to earn my stripes first, like I did with mixed martial arts, but it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. You can follow the progress for John's preparations because he is like a lot of us detailing things on social media. So the, the Twitter and the Instagram are the same at John Gooden UK. You can also follow the bloody vegan at the bloody vegan. Um, as I, as I have told him and, and as I think I shared on, on Facebook, I sat down and watched the vegan chocolate one, had a great laugh. You and I have discussed it in the past. My wife and I try to mix in the vegetarian options here and there. And, and as a guy that grew up on, you know, traditional meat and potatoes, I will say I, I got grief from our mutual friend, Tom Gervasi <laughs> last week because I had substituted uh, ground round for actual ground beef or chicken or something of that sort in a in some homemade nachos i believe he called me a hippie um, <laughs> it, it's not as bad as you think people i and that's coming from a guy that loves a good steak so give yourself give it a try every once in a while because it, it truthfully for me i mean i've in the last few years shifted off dairy i now do almond milk instead of either soy or regular cow's milk um, it has made a huge different yeah. difference for me. And so as I continue to get closer to 40, I need to continue making some of these changes. So I don't know if I will ever go completely cold turkey, but at some point continue moving further away from as much meat as I do tend to eat. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And actually, uh, I'll share this with you. You should look him up and, or, or certainly get in contact. Do you remember James Lightning Wilkes? I do remember James Lightning Wilkes, former what? Ultimate Fighter winner. Yes, exactly. So since then, since he retired from the UFC, he has been making a movie which has just snowballed into this massive project where, I mean, I, I don't know how much I can, I can share, but I met up with him the other week. He was over here speaking with some real big swinging dicks of the movie business and uh, he's got some huge funding and it's all about the whole um, vegan athletes uh, the whole vegan athlete stuff and he's doing a, a brilliant project it's not far from being finalized now so it's gonna it's gonna come our way pretty soon um, but yeah I definitely think that you should try and reach out to him and and see what he's see what he's doing with that. See what's coming up. Really interesting guy. Things change for him, you know. But right, right. 
when, he was explaining to me when you're trying to sell, sell sounds terrible, but when you're trying <laughs> to influence people with the, or certainly just educate people with a plant based lifestyle, depending on your age group, there's a there's a different way of selling it, right, which I right. wasn't really aware of. But as you as you progress past the kind of middle ages, um, the heart, so the condition of the heart, the health things are more and more important. But a 21 year old guy is not interested in that. So there's no point in beating that drum. Right. Right. But there are certain other things that he might be more interested in. So. For example, I watched the uh, the documentary Cowspiracy. Um, the guys who actually produced that movie went on the Joe Rogan podcast. That was very interesting. I think Joe was really enlightened by some of the stuff they came out with. And it talks about the sustainability of having this mass animal agriculture. And it's just not sustainable. So you don't always ha- it doesn't always have to be about the animals in that sense it could be a much wider issue um but it all comes down to we can't really continue feeding loads and loads of food and watering loads and loads of animals because actually we're all getting that second hand and it's draining all the resources and it's probably not doing us very good so if you just cut that out be a little bit more kind to the planet and you'll be healthier and you can still do all the same shit there you go and it, it's it's just a different equation. So um, there you have it. There's my little rant. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we'll park that one there. But yeah, I would definitely recommend watching Cowspiracy. Very interesting film. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's something that something I think, that think even if it's not a shift everyone is going to make um, completely, there are elements that all of us can can implement into our lives, whether it's for health reasons or just you know preferences. I mean, my wife isn't a big meat eater. Um, she would probably be perfectly fine cutting meat out of our daily intake. No problem. I'm a guy that, you know, still needs some here and there, but definitely something everybody can, can look into, as you said, and it, and it's a personal choice. It's something you do the research, do the effort, figure out what works for you. Follow John's conversations and, and video blogs about it. As I said, (laughs) at the daily vegan, um, it's the Keyboard Kamara Podcast on Province Sports Radio with John Gooden. I am E. Spencer Kite. We will get into what both you and I are more, more known for, you more so than me, looking at UFC Fight Night Rothwell vs. Dos Santos uh, coming up April 10th at Arena Zagreb and Zagreb, Croatia. As soon as this main event fight was announced, I don't know about you, I was equal parts surprised that Ben Rothwell was taking this fight, but also it made complete sense to me having talked to Ben a few times over the last six months as he's amassed these wins because he's always maintained if, if I'm not getting that title shot, give me the next guy I have to beat to get me there. And coming off a win like he had against Josh Barnett, now he gets to step in with a former champion going to be tough to deny him as the number one contender should he perform as he has as of late against junior dos santos yeah and listen as long as as long as ben's happy with it then we've all got to be happy for ben and he seems really happy with this um he's on such a such a tear at the moment and i met him over in ireland and was you know really sympathetic to what was going on around him at that time uh, I was excited to see him fight Stipe in, in Dublin. It did, didn't happen. Dan and I had done a whole lot of content around it as well. So, you know, that that fell down. Um, but he deserves these opportunities. And, you know, Junior is a massive name and super dangerous. And I think from looking at all of his interviews, he's in a really interesting spot at the moment. He seems like the kind of guy that, was almost defined by being the UFC champion. And now he hasn't got that. There's not a lot of attention on him from the kind of wider UFC media, or sorry, mixed martial arts media outlets. And he, I think he's craving for that. Hence why he's moved camps a couple of times. He's trying to make these real fine adjustments so that he can get that form back and make a run for the title. But, you know... Ben Rothwell is the man with the momentum and 
what a crazy time for the heavyweight division. It's such an exciting spring summer. I think it's very unique. You'll probably have a better perspective than I will, but is it, is it everyone in the top 10 will have fought uh, by the time we get to 200? I think if, it, if it's not as of now, because the rankings obviously continue sort of shifting sure. following each event, I think it's pretty close. And, and not that, you know, you never want to see a guy get hurt. You never want to see fights fall apart. But I think the division is almost better off having it lined up the way it is now with Fabricio Verdum fighting Stipe Miocic, Cain Velasquez fighting Ben, or sorry, fighting Travis Brown, because it does, as you said, it makes things more exciting. We have sort of different matchups that are going to continue to intrigue people. For the first time in a long time, we have three fighters in the top five that have never fought for the UFC title or been a champion, which is just such a refreshing change from this slew of rematches that we've had where we had a three-year stretch or a two-year stretch where both Kane and Junior, I believe Kane fought five fights against two people. They right. were great fights, but it just becomes hard to maintain that interest and keep things exciting for people because you've just seen that. Yeah. Yeah, so this is this is interesting. And I think one of the... One of the ideas I had in mind for for the show is, you know, it's it's a lot about how you win. Everyone's right. on the pretty much the same schedule here, so you've got Mark Hunt with another walk off KO. <laughs> I mean, oh my God, that guy! How does he keep doing it? Um, I mean, may, maybe he's not right at the top of that title conversation. However, if all of these others go to decision, for example, then he looks pretty damn fantastic. Right. Um, so I think there's a little bit of pressure on style points, but um, that makes it so exciting. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. I have no explanation for how Mark Hunt continues to just... I've actually said on this previous episodes of this, I think more guys should try the walk-off because it seems to be like as you walk away, the ref kind of looks in and is like, yeah, all right, we're done here. Whereas, you know, <laughs> the fight before that, Neil Magny's unloading a torrent of punches oh, and looks yeah. at Steve Percival and he's like, no, he's, he's still alive. You're still active. Keep going. Whereas yeah. Mark Hunt just kind of looks at you and shrugs and smirks and walks off and, and people decide, you know what? Yeah, he's had enough. We, we could be done here. So yeah. it's, it might be something, it might be a strategy more fighters need to employ. Um, yes. I think what you said about junior is, is both correct and so intriguing about it because I think he is a guy that, was so defined by being the champion. And even though he's a couple fights removed from the battles with Kane, they still define a lot of the narrative around him. We talk about, is he a changed fighter? Is he ever going to recover from that? He said this week leading up to this fight, it looked worse than it was. Probably true, but that's only because it looked really friggin' bad. Like you see those pictures, and he's so lumped up and he's so swollen and so battered that there's so much. It feels almost like there's. I don't think Junior Dos Santos is going to get cut if he loses, but it feels like this holds a serious sway on where his career goes from here, which only makes this fight even more exciting. Yeah, I've I've always enjoyed watching the the countdown shows with Junior Dos Santos in the the picture that comes to mind is him sort of walking through the favelas with a right. crowd of young kids around him and he's got such a such a likable smile, hasn't he? But he's you know, he's got this right hand that's just <laughs> um and you you want to see a guy like that do well. He's there's something very very nice about him and he's made a real effort with his ability to speak good English and he can convey a lot of this stuff. And I think that's why we're understanding where he's at a little bit more these days. So yeah, listen, I still don't know. And I think the sport is, is still so young that we don't know whether going around to different camps within a certain amount of time is detrimental to your progress or indeed if it lights a, lights a, a candle or, or even a, you know, a, a fire under you. Um, and then there's the whole individualization of that as well. So ATT is without question uh, one of the very best 
gyms in the world, the coaching, etc. They got the new facilities. I just don't know what it's like to have a former UFC champion walk into your gym. How do you coach that guy? I know right. this is this is the second time round that he's been there. So hopefully a lot of that stuff's been ironed out. But how far do you push? Because he's obviously done a lot of stuff right. Um, so so it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I really want to speak to some of the coaches and see how that works. Yeah, and, and so much of it is just the rapport with coaches. I know you and I have both probably talked to a fair number of coaches about, you know, it's one thing to get a guy that is an obvious athletic talent and obviously skilled at what he does to come in. But if you don't have that connection, if if the way you try to explain things doesn't translate properly, literally and figuratively translate, that connection may not be there and it, and it may not be right. So it is about finding that fit. And, and I'm with you. I want to see if a second time around, um, a little bit more practice with that group, with Ricardo Laborio and Conan Silvera, um, brings out a different Junior DeSantos. I will say I thought he looked extremely tentative against Alistair Overeem, which makes me feel as a fan and just somebody watching um, professionally as well, that, that maybe this isn't the same guy, but all of that can change in one night, especially in this division where, as you said, that big right hand lands and, and suddenly he's on a winning streak and he's just stopped Ben Rothwell's crazy climb. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I'm getting really into it. Sort of going to digress a little bit here, but I'm getting really into the kind of sports psychology stuff. And I spoke with, um, with a couple of high-level coaches or people that used to coach and are now focusing on trying to train other people. And it was very interesting. So, for example, if you've got a coach who walks down to the octagon with someone, say they have five fighters on in one night, do they slap each of those guys around the face, scream at him, and expect the same result? Because I guarantee you it will only work for one of those guys. Right. And the other four will be like, I'm about to get hit a lot anyway please don't hit me right now um so uh, without getting too kind of heebie-jeebie you you have to almost sometimes speak to the soul of a fighter or an athlete not just say you know hit a single leg followed by you know some sort of weird coding you need to sometimes just talk right into them to be able to flick a switch when the going gets tough and that's where switching camps can be problematic. So um, I know he's brought in Dorea, his original boxing coach. He brought him down to ATT for the back half of his camp. I think that was something to do with that familiarity. Right. Uh, and maybe to instill some confidence. I'm certainly just reading between lines here. But we shall see. But then you've got Ben Rothwell. He's got his own little crew. They do everything together. They know each other inside right. So that's that setup is really paying dividends right now. It will be an amazing fight. It it deserving of being a main event. Excited for Ben Rothwell to get this kind of platform to get this opportunity to headline a show on Fox Sports One. Obviously, Junior Dos Santos has been in the brightest spotlight there is because the heavyweight division is is always sort of the one that most people identify with and pay attention to it it generates the most interest this is a card that's very heavyweight heavy five heavyweight fights the co-main event is a fight to me and i was fortunate enough to before jumping on with you speak with Derek lewis about right. his co-main event opportunity against gabriel gonzaga Derek is a guy um i've been at his last two fights so i've been fortunate to get to know him a little bit he he is one of the most imposing looking men I have ever been around in a sport of imposing figures. Yeah. Um, but as I said to him in a piece, and as I said to him today on the phone, I know that behind that scowl and underneath the sort of pulled down brim of a hat is a very funny, a very humble and a very talented man um, coming off two very impressive victories. One where he came back against Victor Pesta, the other where he just, dominated Damian Grabowski gets an opportunity here against a former title challenger and in Gabe Gonzaga on short notice. This to me feels like one of those fights that we get oftentimes of 
the guy on the ascent and the guy maybe on the way down and and you just want to see if that guy that's going up has what it takes to sort of move to the next level no fighters get mad when you refer to them as gatekeepers um but that's what this fight feels like to me do you have a similar vibe about this fight yeah yeah absolutely it that that's you can see that yeah that that's definitely what's happening here but um it's i think gonzaga's still dangerous absolutely he was doing, he was doing really well against crocop again you know you still got two guys that are of, of his veterans rather than you know a, a younger guy on the up um but he's established his gym now uh he's got some business stuff going on so his life seems to be more complicated in a good way so that he can probably right. provide for his family. Um, but then you've got Derek Lewis, who for the first time is leaving the States to fight. He's full of beans. You know, he's on a, he's on a good little win streak. He's stepping in uh, sort of on late notice. He's probably going to get Roy Nelson because those guys seem to want to fight one another anyway. So there's low risk in this for him. He could take, a scalp of a you know a guy yeah who's fought for the world title so a re- it's a great one it's a it's a great option for him why not why not so we'll, we'll see how he gets on yeah he wasn't particularly excited about leaving the country as you said this will be the first time that he's left the country um but it's also one of those things i know going into the fight with Krabowski, he told me i hate these layoffs and it had only been since early october when he last fought so not much of a layoff for a lot of guys, but he he honestly would happily fight every two months. And I think that's something the UFC needs, especially in this division where, as we just talked about, there's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of opportunity. So very much a, a huge fight for Derek Lewis um, against a tough guy, as you said, in, in Gabe Gonzaga. Rather than going through the whole of this card and breaking down every fight because that would just take far too long and there are far too many names that I would absolutely murder in the pronunciation who are a couple of guys that that you either have familiar familiarity with easy for me to say or that you in in just sort of doing your prep for it you're looking forward to seeing step in the cage in Zagreb okay um well I'll fly through a couple I think one that jumps off the page is Jan Wachowicz uh, versus Igor Prokryk. And that is an interesting fight because Jan was the big Polish hope. Um, And it hasn't really worked out for him. He is such a nice guy. (laughs) And no one kind of beats him up about, you know, his lack of success where it could have been more than probably his missus, actually. (laughs) Um, I've seen her scold him because... He has all of this potential and it just hasn't shone through as yet. Well, I think we saw him do really well in his debut. Um, so this is a big, big fight for him. Igor coming back to the UFC, you know, what, what are we expecting there? Well, I know that the people who are behind Yan are expecting him to do a, a really big number. So that's an interesting one. Um, again, moving slightly back up the card again, uh, Curtis uh, Razor Blades versus Francis Ngannou. That's that's an, another interesting fight. You've got a, a wrestle-heavy guy from the States against a monster of a guy in Ngannou who is part of a very good team in France. They have um, uh, Lapilus and uh, Mikel Lebou and, and a couple of other regional fighters over in France. So it's a very good team. Their coach is very, very well-respected. But I don't see a well-rounded game out of Francis right now. So, and and it's the the weakness is is the wrestling for me. So, right. so that could go one of two ways. Um, always fun to see Marina Moreau's fight. She, I've interviewed her via her coach, who's actually her husband. She's very timid, and yet you put her inside the octagon. And she's massively ballsy. You know, right. she's out the champ and jumped on the cage and and oh gesticulated at Joanna Janjacek a couple of weeks after she won her belt of "I'm coming for you" in Poland, no less. Yeah. I mean, who'd have, who'd have thought it? You know, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, it was a very it was a pretty difficult interview because of the language barrier. And um, yeah, she's very, she seems quite reserved, or she seemed quite reserved. But yeah, that blew me away. Um, so 
uh, moving on from that's that's going to be an interesting fight. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Christina uh, Stanchu is, I think, the first Romanian fighter in the UFC. She's very proud of that. She's a bit raw, um, but it could all come together. She's super aggressive. So I expect that one to not see the judges. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a nice one to open up that main card. Uh, Nicholas Dalby, both him, Nicholas Dalby and Demir Hazovic are from the Rumble Sports Camp in Denmark. They have a very, very good good coach called Tew. Um, really like that team. They've just had one of their female fighters signed to the UFC as well. And they had produced another UFC fighter in the past. So it's a team to look out for. So anyone that they produce is, is very, very good. Matt's Nilsson was the other guy. Right, right. Um, well, and Nicholas that, Dalby, I mean, sorry to, to, to cut you off, coming off a draw... His first yeah. fight in the UFC, obviously a close split decision, maybe hasn't had the quite the performances that he had fighting in Cage Warriors, but you can see the potential of it there. And I always wonder with a guy like that, sort of as we talked about even with you, of do you need to get those first few reps in the UFC in to where you're then comfortable and you're then used to the size of the cage, used to the lights, used to sort of remembering that this is just a fight and I did exceptionally well in my 13 before getting here. I need to get back to that. Yeah. Yeah, he's, I think he feels the love. I mean, he he walked away with the performance bonus and it was a great fight against Darren Till. Right, and right. just kind of um, going back to the thing that I said earlier about listening to your corner, it was, it was Dalby's coach, Chew who said to him, I think Dalby came in and, and had quit. He'd quit after the second round. He said he wasn't going to go back out. And Tew turned him around because he knew which buttons to press. Right. And he came out with a, with a round-winning performance, which then obviously split the judges and, and a draw came right. out on the back of that. So it, it, a bonkers kind of situation. And, and he credits his coach and his coach is like, no, 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 you're the one in there fighting Really lovely uh, exchange between the two of them uh, after after the event had finished. Um, but yes, he he needs a big performance. Zach Cummings is a huge guy uh, for welterweight. Fought uh, Gunnar Nelson. That's when I met him. Uh, that's a tough match for anyone. But I think he has he has a lot of the tools. I believe he's still training with James Krause and yes. those guys. So. He's part of, a, part of a good team. So that, that's a good scrap. That's a good scrap. Looking forward to that one. Yeah, the couple for me. Um, um, very quickly. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, real quick. Ian Entwistle, master of the leg lock and the hill hook. I've, I've known him from way back when. He was a, a bit of a troll on the forums <laughs> in, back in the day. Uh, on the Cage Warriors forum, he used to really upset some people. Uh, then he kind of went missing for a while. And I think it's because he took off to Thailand and got signed with the UFC and doing pretty well, you know. So excited to see what he brings. For me, Mirbak Tysimov is just unbelievable. What an unbelievable athlete. Training out of uh, Tiger Muay Thai again uh, from uh, over in Thailand. Oh, my God, this kid has all the minerals to go to the very top. So Paul Demir Hazovic on his debut gets, gets right. to fight this guy. Wow. So I don't know how that's going to go, but um, I'm always excited to see Tyson of uh, very quickly. Last two Philippe page. I think that's how you pronounce it. This guy is, is crazy. I think they call him nitro. He's a real fast fighter. Um, First time he's fighting at bantamweight, though, which worries me slightly because I think he's actually taken some titles at lightweight. Uh, but he was on the front cover of uh, Men's Health, I think it is, over uh, in in Croatia. But he's a local lad. Lots of lots of good momentum behind him. Lots of praise. I think he's a big hope. So look out for him. And then uh, just further back, Robert Whiteford versus Lucas Martins. Rab Whiteford is a real character. I, I really like him. I was doing a podcast for the UFC called UFC Octagon Side. And on air, he turned around and said, I didn't, I didn't like you, John, when you were at Cage Warriors. <laughs> I thought that you were singing the Cage Warriors scripts. I didn't believe it. 
all of the cage warriors champs were going to go to the UFC and, you know, but we actually found out that we had a lot of uh, common ground and we liked a lot of the same things and we've become sort of, sort of respectful of one another now. But I really, I really like Rob and he's had a couple of very tough fights. Darren Elkins is super tough fight. And he now has Lucas Martins who is going to stand and trade with him. So, Let's see what happens. That's a that's a potential really, really good explosive fight. Yeah, when I started to jump in and cut you off earlier, that was going to be one of the ones that I pointed out. I think it has absolute fight of the night potential because, as you said, Lucas Martin's a guy that we've seen throughout his career, happy to walk into the center of the octagon, plant his feet, and start throwing hooks. Um, and Rob Whiteford, tough as they come. The only other guy for me that I'm looking forward to sort of seeing his debut, March into Burrah. Um, one of, if not the best heavyweight sort of prospect yeah. outside of the UFC for a long time, M1 global champion, um, a lot of success over there, facing Timothy Johnson, great mustache, solid wrestler. <laughs> um, yeah. Interesting to see as we sort of wrap up this this heavyweight card, a new heavyweight or two being introduced into the division to see where they can go, see how they stack up, as you said, sort of in terms of, you know, the the performance that they give and, and the quality of it and the entertainment of it. But it should be a great time. I'm sure you are going to do a phenomenal job backstage. Uh, Thank look you, forward to seeing it. I have kept you for a little over an hour. I greatly appreciate it. Before I let you go, give those plugs one more time of where everybody can, can follow along, both with John Gooden's commentary career and everything else going on for you these days. Well, I I did a little thing for a day in the life thing for UFC Fight Pass. So that's up there. And my dad has become a superstar on the back of it. <laughs> uh, you will see the dynamic between he and I. Um, at John Gooden UK, Instagram, Twitter, and my little YouTube uh, ambitions right now are in the way of the bloody vegan. It's not all about vegan stuff. Uh, if you're into triathlons, which everyone is now because of Nate Diaz. Thank right. you, Nate. We're the same, right? Me and yeah, Nate. Ab- absolutely. Can't right. tell you apart. Vegetables, you know, same same kind of deal. Um so so yeah, uh, by all means reach out. I love interacting with people and um thank you very very much for having me on and and let me ramble about all these different aspects of my life. Thank you for doing it. It is it's always fun to mix it up and not just do straight and that's not a knock on anybody else that I've ever had on here where we've just talked straight fighting for for 45 to 60 minutes but it's always nice to to be able to bring friends on colleagues on people that i respect and admire and and want to see continue to do well so i appreciate you taking the time everybody listening i appreciate you listening you know where to find me as usual at spencer kite on both twitter and instagram and for the first time in a couple of weeks enjoy the fights this weekend thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard kimura. Keyboard Kimura.